0: Episode five. I don't even know how we have five episodes, but uh Woo-hoo! yeah, <laughs> probably gonna say that every time. So just get used to it. Uh we, uh since it is the holidays, um, and we are always saying, what are we saying, Adrian? Fuck the patriarchy. Fuck the patriarchy! <laughs> uh we are going to talk about Black Christmas 2019, directed by Sophia Tikal and co-written by Tikal and April Wolf um which uh i'm sure if you are on twitter or anywhere on the internet uh you noted that when this movie came out everybody hated it well not everybody but most people hated it um most men hated it that is an important thing to note not that there weren't bad reviews from
1: women there were it's my privilege to teach you this semester enjoy your winter breaks and merry christmas what's up ladies excited for tonight it is our last day of our last fall semester of college ever can you take a photo of all of us of course where's helena she was pounding back a sodas earlier but she looked really good we shouldn't have let her go back by herself. She's fine. Come on, live a little. <laughs> oh, no, 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 Helen hasn't gotten home yet. If I were missing, I'd want you to unleash the bloodhounds and track me down. KO last night. Still creating problems, all huh, right. Hello? Hello? I'm worried that something bad has happened. It's winter break. Could just be a delay of some sort. Snow. My friend is missing. Nine times out of ten, the girl's just with a boyfriend. I will bring you to your niece.
0: movie i i did not see it when it came out and it's not because of the bad reviews i really don't ever pay attention to those Uh, it just was like it came out and i was like yeah i should watch that i I really want to watch that and then suddenly it was a year later and i realized i hadn't watched it and so um i watched it for the first time last month and and uh you know it's not perfect but i did really like it and then i watched it again Uh, today and liked it actually even more than the first time I just kind of like picked up on some things that I didn't before and just really got into sort of the fun um it's not cheesy I wouldn't say cheesy but just like the fun like sort of kitschy moment of it Do you want to say anything about it before we get into it more? I just wanted to say that I kind of
2: echo that because I also didn't see it last December when it came out and it was not any intentional thing. It's just interesting um, how they kind of talk about it quote unquote failing at the box office. But like lots of movies get a slow build of people following and watching it and seeing it. And uh, I don't know. It's just weird how uh, when people decide to place that on a film. Like I didn't see it just because last year I, w- I like to see movies in theaters with groups of friends and the holidays are a hard time to do that. Cause everybody's out of town or going this, you know, wherever they're going, usually not this year, obviously. Um, and so that's yeah. the literal reason I missed seeing it in the theater. So I don't know. It's, it's just uh, something I think about.
0: Yeah. Um, and you know, like, uh (laughs) bringing it back to the gatekeeping um so i mean part of the reason that this movie failed is because there are still i know we like to pretend like they're not but there are still a lot of gatekeepers uh in the horror genre and a lot of those mostly male gatekeepers mostly straight male gatekeepers um were out there saying you know like I still, I still remember, like, reading the tweets and just being like, ugh, you know, the, the popular refrain is, like, we don't need this social justice warrior bullshit in our genre. Um, to which it's like, I don't understand that. I don't <laughs> understand it. Horror, as we've talked about before, almost always has some kind of political message, almost always has something deeper going on. Um, So to say, like, we don't want this in our genre says to me that really what you don't want is women empowerment in your genre. You just don't. You don't want it. Um, Also, the things that puzzle me are complaints that it's not really a remake because there's a supernatural element. Okay. Uh, We talked about this before also, and straight-up remakes are boring as hell. Like, why would you want a straight-up remake of the movie? Um, The 74 Black Christmas is great, you know, it's of its time. It kicked off a whole slew of, you know, slasher films and stalking films. It's great. It's scary. It's, uh, it's very impactful. But I don't think it would make sense to have that same plot and that same movie happening now. It, it just wouldn't, you know? Um there's some great things in the original, right, Adrienne? I mean, there's mm-hmm. a great, you know, they address abortion without actually ever saying the word abortion. They talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the Margot Kidder's character is, like, amazing and <laughs> in your face. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, just, I just rewatched that one, and I watched, like, the interviews with Margot Kidder and um, cool. uh, Olivia Hussey, and they were amazing, as you would imagine. I'm sure. Um and uh, one thing that struck me, uh, this is like sort of related to what we're going to be talking about. One thing that struck me in the interviews, uh, particularly with Olivia Hussey, the male interview asked interviewer asked her, uh, you know, how did you feel filming that movie with like the scenes on the phone? Like, did it get to you? Like, was it disturbing to you what he was saying? Um, and I was like, in my brain, I'm like, first of all, they probably weren't, you know, like, right. and, and she verified, she's like, well, no, that, that there wasn't anybody saying anything. Like they were just kind of prompting me with lines, you know, but she's like, why would it disturb me? Like I'm, I'm in a movie playing, right. A, right. playing right. a role. That's like, they would never ask that of a man. They would yeah. never say like to a male actor, like, Oh, was it just too much for you? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't surprise me at all. I wouldn't,
2: before we hop away from that, though, you said something that really, um, but I want to hammer on a little bit is the like, it's not a remake because it's supernatural, there's a supernatural element, I guess also spoilers, but it's been out for a year. Um, that's, that's what is so cool to me about Black Christmas's history is that there is kind of a consistent update to the the red herring plot. You know, there's always a red herring plot of who the bad guy is. In the first one, it's Peter because he doesn't want... Um, just have an abortion and in the 2006 remake they get rid of that and it's kind of like this revenge porn subplot which doesn't really land at all but I mean it's... <laughs> for like 30 seconds exactly exactly and I fully I totally believe that it was probably longer and more nuanced before the Weinsteins got involved and chopped it up and kind of destroyed it to a degree I still like that movie but they definitely messed with it um so I just like even if you just look at those two films you already know that this source material has the room and the space to hold different subplots. And those subplots should reflect the time in which the movie is being set and created. So I just, I mean, it's just a very lazy argument, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, and also it says to me, (laughs) again, um, so what you're looking for then is to see a bunch of women murdered. Mm -hmm. And that's it, you know? (laughs) Mm-hmm. You don't want to see them fight back. You don't want to see any commentary about toxic masculinity. Um, you just want to see women being killed. Um, and that might—it might sound like I'm being a, a feminist uh, buzzkill, but honestly, <laughs> just think about what you're saying. Uh, by the way, just just to dip into Black Xmas, two thousand and six. <laughs> Um, I watched it, and I don't know what the fuck that movie was. But (laughs) it's curious to me that literally the whole movie is about the killer. Mm -hmm. And the women barely get any kind of backstory at all. So um, they spend so much time. They spend more than half the movie on the backstory of Billy. And (laughs) And I don't get it. And also then it doesn't make sense that the daughter looks exactly like him <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's there... a whole other problem
2: yeah it's i mean it's really <laughs> indicative of the time of that the, that time of remakes like rob zombie did the same thing with halloween you know taking out all of the mystery of the killer and just like yeah i don't know what was going on then was is like was there something in the water i I feel like there's a lot – a decent amount of backstory in the My Bloody Valentine 2, yeah. that remake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chainsaw. It's just really strange.
0: Yeah, I don't know if, like, the filmmakers at that time were trying to, like, get in on this, like, you know, it'd be great if we just knew way more about the killer. <laughs> Which is, like, to me, the more you know about the killer, the less frightening the killer is, right? mm mm-hmm. um, So – in this case bringing it back to 2019 uh you don't just have one killer you have many killers um Mm -hmm. and it's not really solely about who those killers are it's more about toxic masculinity being this force Mm -hmm. that causes these things to happen which i think is really interesting um also another one of the common complaints about this movie, uh, is that it felt rushed. (laughs) Yeah. Adrian, you want to talk a little bit about that because you know why it felt so rushed and I find it very fascinating.
2: Sure. Yeah. I, you know, from what I can piece together, uh, and it's very fascinating. Obviously we know Blumhouse, they like to do micro budgets and they like to move fast and that's just what they do. And that's how they make their money back. No matter what the film is. I mean, this movie made its money back. So, I get that that's the the business model. Um, I also don't get the concept of rushing all of these things. I see that in a lot of industries. I see it in my day jobs industry a lot. And I'm like, I don't know why we're, why are we rushing it? Like, is there some demand? Rarely there is, but I mean, I don't, there are probably bigger things at play in both scenarios, you know, film, you know, day job. I don't know. But there is just a culture of rushing in, in these creative works these days. But so in February of 2019, as I understand it, Jason Blum reached out to Sophia Tikal to ask her if she would want to do, write and direct a remake of Black Christmas. Um, she was previously, she made New Year, New You, which was one of those Blumhouse Hulu into the dark films. Um, and that made her the first woman to direct a Blumhouse picture which would have been in 2018. They've been around since 2006, so. Yeah, wow. You know, worth (laughs) pointing out.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: But the catch was he wanted it in theaters of December of that year. I don't know why, I have no idea why, Um, but that left them, well, to call alone at the time, to create, uh, write, do all of pre-production, shoot, and then edit the film. In nine months, so I don't know what the idea was there. So Sophia said yes, of course, because would you say no, Amy? Of course, you wouldn't say no. Of course not. Yeah. I'd be
0: like, "Let's make this goddamn thing."
2: Yeah. So you're already set up into this impossible situation where if you don't just happen to have like the, a perfect idea um, fall into your lap, or you already had an idea, you're just gonna have to work with what you have, you know. So I know that she, uh, Sophia, wrote a few drafts of the script and then realized like I need somebody to come in and, and collaborate with because this is just like too much, you know? Too much for so one person. She to do. April Wolf.
0: Oh sorry. Oh too much for one person to do for sure.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean well, you could possibly find something that would just crush right away, but I mean I would be panicked. So she brought in April Wolf and that's when the two of them really like found the, the the kernel of their story and, you know, the two of them realized they wanted to bring in this supernatural element. And they both have a lot of really great quotes about how um, misogyny really feels like a magical force. You know, you every time you think you've made an advancement against it, it finds new ways to come in and, you know, seep into whatever new cultural um, advancement you've made. So I, I see that thesis in this film, and I think that they, they do it in a really fun way. Um, yeah, it feels a little rough around the edges in places. I don't know how it couldn't. I know that, uh, that Sophia was working seven day weeks for months at the end to get that movie together. So I don't know, like, what do you want? <laughs> you know, what do you want from people? So that's kind of the background that I understand. And in, when you look at it through that lens, it's um, triumph
0: yeah absolutely um and also um another complaint there's so many complaints about this movie and like i understand them but listen uh i still think like we can blow them up a little bit so another complaint is the pg-13 rating right the um right the idea that it's not gory enough again Mm -hmm. i point to the fact that it's like what do you want you do you want to see women very (laughs) gorelly torn apart clearly um right so the pg-13 rating as i understand it was a deliberate action um because those um april and sophia wanted to make sure that younger women would be able to see this film correct and that's fucking beautiful i mean you know um we'll talk about this as we get into the plot a little bit but yeah there's there's the supernatural element and it could it can come off as a little silly, you know. Mm-hmm. Um but as a woman it's <laughs> it still makes me be like, "Uh-huh." Yeah. Um <laughs> yep. Uh so we're gonna start out talking a little bit about the plot. And again, as always, there's gonna be spoilers. There just there just is. We it's kind of impossible to talk about a film and dissect it without having these spoilers. So apologies if you haven't seen it. Maybe pause this, pause this recording, go watch it, come back, press play again. Um, so we we open uh, on a Christmas party at a sorority house. Um, it's very lively lots of great characters uh, drinking and exchanging presents. And um, one of the women asks, like, oh, where's Lindsay? Oh, well, she's at, you know, she's at the library. So she calls Lindsay, we get to see Lindsay's uh, point of view. So she is leaving the library. It is dark, you know, it's after hours. She is walking um, to her car to leave uh, and go home for Christmas. And so we get a little conversation between Lindsay and um, this other woman whose name I cannot remember. Forgive me for not remembering right away. Um, And after she hangs up, you know, she's walking along the street and a man appears behind her. And this is like another. We talked about this in our last episode, um, revenge, about how like when women film these things, there's just this element of reality that does not happen when men film the same sort of scene, right? <laughs>
1: totally. So,
0: Lindsay, she's alone. It's dark. Um, yes, yeah, she has her phone, but it's scary walking by yourself alone as a woman, uh, simply because you just you just don't know what's gonna happen, and you, as a woman. Are, feel like you're constantly in danger and that's just how it is that's our society so she's freaked out that this man is behind her she keeps looking back and then she gets a message on her phone and it's it's like calling her a little piggy like saying that it's looking for, you know but i'm looking forward to seeing you squeal later or something like that and she's like oh so she looks back again and she's kind of like you can see her mind calculating is he sending me the message but then how would he send me the message you know um so she gets her keys out classic woman move puts her keys in between her knuckles as a weapon just in case and then he veers off and leaves and she's like, whew, okay, well, that guy's gone. I'm okay, I can make it to my car. Um, only to be confronted with a hooded figure right in front of her. Um, it's so, a great jump scare. It is, it is. It's like a great, like, <gasps> um, and again, because like as a woman, you're like, ah, oh, fuck. Like you just got rid of one danger and now <laughs> there's another one right in front of you. Right. Um, and so, you know, she runs as you as you would, uh this figure starts following her and there's this um you know sort of extended chase scene where uh it does feel at this point like the hint that there's something supernatural going on is strong because the figure sort of is everywhere at once and so right. no matter where she goes um there is this hooded figure and she's you know banging on doors and nobody's answering and then um that that first kill is actually the pretty great scene i feel like i agree Uh, yeah so like she she gets thrown in the snow he's the killer has an icicle that he breaks off and while she's in the snow she kind of does this like flailing thing that makes this beautiful snow angel underneath her which i thought was just this Mm
1: -hmm.
0: kind of really interesting imagery yeah the whole
2: thing is so so well done i like the jump scare especially because it kind of reinforces that idea of like feeling guilty or punished because you let your guard down for a second she had one threat she takes a breath because it wasn't you know a real threat it was a perceived one which a validly perceived one only to immediately you know be faced with her fate and that is you know something you see in society well well you know
0: Mm -hmm. you shouldn't have
2: let your guard down you know
0: you shouldn't have been walking alone at night
2: Mm-hmm. Without male
0: protection, <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. Why were you worried about that guy? He seemed totally fine. Obviously, the threat was right in front of you. You know, mm-hmm. it's just uh, it's it's layered in a way that I don't think people give it credit for,
0: and it's just really good. Yeah. Um. Yes, it is. It's really impactful. Um. And so you know that happens, and then the the credits come up, and then we cut to a different sorority house. Um. And this is where. Uh, Riley, Chris, Marty, and Jesse live. And um, Riley, who is played by Imogen Poots, (laughs) I don't know why I have to say it like that, I just do Poots. Um, She uh, is, you know, she's she looks a little disheveled, she looks a little tender, a little vulnerable. Um, We have Chris, who is my absolute favorite character. She is amazing um chris is you know your hardcore feminist friend chris is the activist of the group she is great uh one of the little details about chris that i love is anytime anybody calls them girls she shouts out women <laughs> or women <laughs> which i, I love it.
2: it's my favorite is in the i know we're not at the scene yet where they do their performance yeah yeah the
0: way it just sails out there women yeah it's so good so uh and then marty is kind of uh you know the sort of she appears to be sort of like the more level-headed studious one um and uh jesse is sort of like the she's like the party girl you know and then we have um they these are all the big sisters of the sorority by the way so like the seniors i would guess i don't know anything about sororities just fyi and so (laughs) so uh they Riley has this little sister named Elena who is, she's sort of taken under her charge and she's hyping her up for this big Christmas show that they're going to do later at the, the, uh, the big, the founders fraternity, AKO. Um, So there's kind of like the sweet moment. You get like a little bit of personality from each of the girls as they're going about their morning and getting ready for this big show later and Christmas break which I think is kind of sweet. The only, like, the one thing that I would say, and again, admittedly, I don't know much about sororities. I was never in a sorority. Um, I only have maybe, like, one friend I know that was in a sorority. But one of the things that it strikes me is, like, man, none of these girls seem like they would be in a sorority. <laughs> but, I like, think the same thing, and I'm sure that's a bias on
2: my end. But yeah, like I'm sure it is. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't in a sorority either. Like, I just had a bias against it. <laughs> you know? yeah
0: you know and also like i grew up in the 80s and sororities were you know i'm sure a very different thing than they are now so totally um but, you know i guess you could say the same thing about the 70s black christmas like i wouldn't it doesn't seem like those girls are in a sorority either you know so it, right
2: i'm sure it was different
0: but back back in the day
2: like 60s 70s my mother-in-law was in a sorority and she doesn't strike me as someone who would be in one but that's i really think person. that's a pers- <laughs> there's a very finite amount of time that like, I, for like, modern folk, I think that the way we perceive a sorority, I'm sure it was a totally different, totally. thing, you know, when it was just like, Oh, you know, a place to live where I'm not like, alone in an apartment. And I can, you know, study right, right. With friends.
0: Yeah, I mean, literally, my only knowledge of sororities is like, from movies. So please yeah. forgive my prejudices right. <laughs> against, mean, against you ladies.
2: When I think of a sorority in modern film that feels Right, I
0: think of Happy Death Day. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Um, so, yeah, so they, you know, they go about their day. We see, uh, we see Riley in class her English class uh, mm-hmm. with heavy-handed professor Carrie Elways. I don't remember yeah. his name. I'm just going to call him yeah. Cary Elwes. You know, I love I love Carrie Elwes in everything, and I particularly love when he's not playing a good guy because I just, I don't know, I just like to see it. I like to see cute, sweet little Wesley from Princess Bride doing something, stretching a little bit. So, um, yeah, so, you know, he's he deliberately calls on Riley, and this is because... He is upset that Chris has started a petition against him to get him fired because he only teaches uh, literature from, from male writers, right? So, which is like, it's like a sticky area, of course, because the entire canon of literature is filled with old white males and like, that's how it is and how it always has been. And I don't know if we will ever be able to change it, but... Uh, Professor Elways makes his point by reading a Camilla Camille Paglia quote and you know bas- basically sticking it to Riley like this is written by a woman and like my job is just to teach you all classics and I don't understand why you're targeting me with this uh, ridiculous petition um, right He even says something about uh, he says something about like, how ridiculous it is that women are like trying to fight the patriarchy because the patriarchy is there to help them or something. I don't. Right. I don't remember exactly. Well,
2: well I want to jump in because I, to call and Wolf specifically used Paglia in this scene. You know, she's the author of Sexual Personae um, and a really polarizing, controversial figure. You know, uh, they were not. And there was a big hullabaloo around something that they were presenting um, at the university that they're a um a professor at and just like the whole thing is let me see if i actually have the quote um so to call said one of the one part of the idea discussed um, is that the very language and logic that women use to defeat the patriarchy is actually the language of patriarchy itself um, Riley's interpretation is that women will use the tools of men in order to fight the patriarchy. In a very strange way, we're portraying that thesis, even though we're not totally into what it represents. Um, As to that specific classroom scene, we felt that it was the perfect character choice for Professor Gelson, that's his name, to be teaching the writing of Camille Paglia. There are so many men who point to Paglia and say, see, a woman thinks this too, so that must mean we're right. Uh, someone oh, like Gelson would totally use her as a tool for justifying uh sexist point. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Right? It's <laughs> probably, like, again, so there we go. So, again, people going, ooh, this movie is dumb or whatever. It's like, there's so much going on in these scenes. Just
0: rewatch it. Dang. Yeah. Give it a chance, y'all. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, the, the sad truth is, you know, that most people complaining about it didn't see it. So, it's, right. you know. <laughs> right. Right. Like, um you know that's true Mm -hmm. uh so yeah so after after that class uh you know the girls come together again uh they're walking riley to her coffee shop job and this is this is really great exchange between chris and marty and riley where they're kind of all talking about this problem with professor gelson and uh chris says you know if we don't want to confront the male the white male patriarchy then they're going to get away with everything and riley just says yeah they already do which is like yep yeah that's that. that's true <laughs> so this is where we meet uh langston who is this very sweet nerdy little boy uh excuse me man who um who comes to the coffee shop every day and clearly has a crush on Riley, and so he's kind of listening to them, and then he, he's so he's really so adorable. It just like kind of makes my heart like beat a little bit faster, just the way that he's like very shy and very sweet, I know. and he's no he Langston. He says, "I'll sign your petition," <laughs> you know, like very sheepishly. Um, and just sort of like gives them, like, a you know, you go girls kind of uh, thing, but not patronizing. No. Like, he clearly is like, yes, you are in the right for doing all the things that you're doing, and I understand. And as he's walking out, he gives Riley a shy little smile, and she smiles back. And then we see, you know, like, jerky AKOS, AKO fraternity dude appear. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I didn't pay attention to any of the fraternity dudes' names because I was like, who cares? But <laughs> it's one of them. I don't know. Brian, Chad, who knows what his name is.
2: <laughs> I mean, I will say that is a fair criticism. I could not keep anyone's name straight at all. Um, and that, I think that is a part, just another point to like kind of rushed aspect and how much they, mm-hmm. of the story they wanted to, to tell, the scope of the story um, yeah, I could not keep the name straight, but that's okay. Did, to me, that doesn't change my enjoyment. I still remember the, like, vibe that each character is bringing. And I think that there's also something to that where you get to then put yourself into the place of those characters.
0: Yeah. And also, like, who cares what the frat boy names are? Because they're, <laughs> you know... Right, they're the bad guys. And they're all don't... supposed to be this uniform. They're supposed
2: to be driving the same negative, yeah. you know,
0: agenda. And they are. They all look exactly the same. They all have, like, exactly the same haircut and, like, dress exactly the same and have the exact same, like, snotty, superior sneer. You know? <laughs> so. Totally. Um. So, yeah. So, uh, moving along. So, we get... Uh, we get to the big moment, this this Christmas show that these girls are putting on for the fraternity. And they've kind of like, they've been hinting around about it, but they don't, they haven't really told you what it's about. And so we get this kind of, this scene where, you know, it's like, you think it's going to be a little bit like the Mean Girls Christmas pageant <laughs> performance, right? Where these girls are dressed up in these very sexy Santa Claus dresses. Um, and... They're, you know, they've got lots of, they got all, they're all glammed up and they're ready to perform at the, I don't know what it's the deeks. I wasn't. This is another thing that I don't understand about like fraternity or sorority culture. It's called like deeks chat totally. talent show, and I'm like, wait, who's deek? I don't. What? <laughs> what yeah, I don't. <laughs> is, is
2: it like a acronym or something about? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know.
0: So, so they're all in the in this uh, the dressing room of of the fraternity, like drinking. And Riley shows up, and she's like, "Hey, where's Elena?" Um, Elena is the younger um, sorority sister that she was hyping up earlier and telling her she was going to do great. And so, you know, I think it's Marty says, "Oh, she pounded a bunch of vodka sodas." And then she left, but I'm sure she'll be back. And immediately, because um, this, is a, this is the fraternity house where obviously something happened to Riley. They've kind of talked about it a little bit, but they haven't really said exactly what happened. Um, she gets alarmed as she goes to find Elena. And this is where she stumbles on the first sort of hint of what is going on in this film as a whole and, and what's going to happen later. Um, she – this is one of the scenes that didn't quite work for me, uh, even the second time around, where she, like, opens the door and sees this sort of secret society, you know, the fraternity society in their stupid robes. Right, <laughs> yeah, like, it's a little – it's a little – hammer horror <laughs> you it know? is i mean like i kind of like that but mostly yeah. my main complaint was like that door was so squeaky that there is right. literally no way they would not have noticed her right. um and she doesn't just open it a crack like she opens it and kind of fully puts her head into the room which i was like i feel like one of these dudes would notice this right. happening right. maybe they're just um, so possessed <laughs> <maybe>. by calvin <laughs> hawthorne maybe uh oh yeah so that's thing we didn't really um we didn't really talk about yet is the calvin hawthorne direct messages so um instead of phone calls in this movie because nobody has fucking landlines anymore um <laughs> they have like some kind of messaging app for the college think you know like early years facebook but just you know just for one college and so all of these, uh, the girls, um, including the girl at the beginning who died, have been getting messages from Calvin Hawthorne, who is the founder of this college. Um, and this is where the threatening messages are coming from, right? This is where the name Colleen comes in. This is where, like, you're going to die. We're going to murder you. Um, right. You know, you will scream until the end, et cetera, et cetera, comes in, which I thought was actually a really clever way to do it. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, so yeah, so she, so she witnesses the scene of like them sort of like baptizing these pledges and then she like (laughs) closes the very squeaky door again, sneaks out, um, and then walks down the hall and hears a little bit of a struggle. So she opens the door to see this. Again, I, I feel like this is just such a, there's such a difference in the way that a woman would film this scene as opposed to a man filming it is she comes in, she sees, elena kind of making out with this um frat boy and she can tell like elena's really inebriated and the 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 guy throws elena on the bed and then like goes to grab a condom and elena's kind of like wait 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 a second wait 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 and so um and he's obviously not waiting so so riley kind of like shoves her way into the room is like hey elena And, man, that dude got so mad. Like, you could just see the rage flare up on his face, you know? Mm
1: -hmm. He says,
0: like, you're interrupting something. We're kind of busy here. And um, Elena's kind of collecting herself. And Riley says, do you want me to leave? And Elena's, like, kind of looking at her and then, like, looking at him, looking at her. It's just like this, like, oof, man, what a moment. Like, yeah, I I have been in Riley's position before, and it is, like, it is very hard moment but it is like it's amazing sort of the the mental gymnastics that those dudes will go to to still try to get what they're after right <laughs> you know like like if they could just say the right thing you would go away and then they would get what they wanted right. um so anyway he leaves he leaves all disgruntled and she feels good about who stopping something from happening um and Elena thanks her, she puts her in her Uber to go home, and then Riley comes back into the room and tells the rest of the girls that Elena's not gonna participate. And so right. Chris is immediately like, hey, hey, why don't you do it? Mm-hmm. Um, which Riley doesn't want to do it. Um, and at this point, we're still like, oh, what? You know, what is going on? Like, what are they gonna do? <laughs> Man, I was not, like the first time I watched this, I was not prepared for what happened at all oh i know (laughs) it's the greatest really it's (laughs) yeah it is it's
2: it's also a little cringy but in like the perfect way where you're like yeah
0: we're gonna yeah we're going full on yeah and so uh so what has happened is um previously riley had been sexually assaulted by one of the boys in this fraternity and uh And she, you know, she reported it and just like real life, nothing happened because nobody believed her. And, you know, they were like, you were drunk and it was your fault. So they have concocted this plan. I'm sure it's all Chris's idea. You know, it's like 100% Chris's idea. For sure. (laughs) Without a doubt. They signed up for the talent show to do this sexy Christmas song and dance. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so they're in these very sexy outfits, they're all glammed up, they get out there, and they start singing it, and it's actually like a total slam, uh, re- Lyrics with the lyrics revealing everything that happened to Riley, but in particular just calling the frat out for drugging girls and having sex with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it is glorious, and it, it like plays out exactly the way I'd expect it to play out. You know, half the room is booing them half the room is cheering people are recording it on their phones um and there's this beautiful moment where like when riley finally like says it when she finally like sings it out that she was assaulted to this room full of people you can just see the change on her face and Mm -hmm. i really appreciated that yeah um And like at the end, as they're running out of the room, you know, Chris says, well, that'll teach, that'll teach them to rape girls, you know, Which, of (laughs) course, like my, my old lady brain was like, yeah, they're probably not going to learn anything, but you know, good try. Um, (laughs) at least you warned other girls about it, you know,
2: right. Well, it's just such a, it's such a different thing is to go like, well, yeah, you can, you have the power to do something like this, but we, we don't have to be keeping your evil secrets. Like, we're going to sing about it. We're going to shame you. Um, you know, it's the least we can do is give it back to you. You know, that's how I took Chris's comment, I guess, or, or celebration really.
0: Oh yeah, totally. I, yeah. Um, so anyway, yes. So the, the fraternity, uh, boys are very upset about this whole performance. Um, and immediately afterwards, they they all start getting, like, DMs uh, saying that they're going to be killed. <laughs> so, obviously, they triggered these men. Um, Poor little so, babies. Yeah, I know. Aw, buddies. So, <laughs> so <laughs> they run off. Uh, they run off to sort of, like, uh, post-party and... They end up inviting Langston, and um, so, again, like, there's this super cute moment with Riley and him where they're just walking back to the house, and they just have, like, this cute chemistry. You know, they're both shy. Um, they both have a hard time sort of saying that they like each other, but there's clearly something going on there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so... You know, then it's revealed that Elena never is not there at, when they get home. Elena's not there and Riley gets worried. Um, and so the next morning she goes to the campus police, which Jonathan, when we were watching this morning, he said like, that is the most like accurate campus police portrayal I've ever it's, seen. It's so
2: accurate. That scene is another one that I I just want to highlight because it's... So expertly done where you have two people trying to, well, one person trying to convey their experience and the other not, um, almost willfully not understanding. And I feel like every woman has been in that situation at least once where you're like, if you would just expand your understanding of how the world works for one second to try to empathize with my position, this would go a lot smoother. You know? And it's just the constant yeah. struggle to be understood. It's, yeah, it's really well done.
0: And it and it mirrors the scene in the original, you know, where they mm-hmm. go to the police um, to report their missing friend. I mean, it's the same thing, where yeah. these men that are getting this report are like, are you sure she's not just with her boyfriend? Yep. Um, yeah, no, she's, she's coming to you because she's sure that that's not <laughs> what is happening. Exactly, exactly. You know? <laughs> Yes. Um, and to think about, like, the courage that it had taken Riley to do that, having right. already been through this before on her own behalf, you know? Right.
2: Right. And, like, yeah, the bravery, the strength, because otherwise, I mean, you've already done this. You're probably exhausted and you know, you're know, you disillusioned. You know that they're not going to help. But you have to try.
0: You know? Yes. Um, so... Yeah, so he's just you know, I think he even says like nine times out of ten the girl is with her boyfriend, and I'm just like, Um, and she you know she lays it out for him like she tells him like I've been getting these DMs, Um, you know it's kind of weird, and then the security guard is like so fucking condescending where he's like he's like oh you think that this guy's keeping your friend in his basement like that's what you think and that he's like messaging you as the founder. And she's just being – she's like, well, no, I don't know what to think. I just know my friend's missing. Right.
2: Um, the escalation too. Oh, so, yeah, <laughs> your, your uh, concern is so stupid that I'm going to exaggerate it into, like, being locked in a basement. And her reaction is so good. She's like, I didn't say that. I yeah. am just, you know, just trying to
0: get her point across. Oh,
2: it's so painful.
0: Yeah. It, ugh, it's the worst. Um, so, yeah, so she clearly doesn't have any luck. So then she goes – back to AKO and is kind of peeking in the window when um, Professor Gelston shows up behind her and taps her on the shoulder Um, and so, you know, and startles her. Uh, And there's this, again, like this great moment here where, you know, she says, oh, I was looking for my missing comb, um, when really she's there like looking for Elena. She's worried that Elena has gone back there and gotten something you know horrible has happened to her in this house and so she says like I you know I just want to get in there and look for it and he offers to let her in and in my brain I'm like no 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 yeah <laughs> do run! Not, do not go into the house with this man there is danger stamped all over him <laughs> like don't do it um but also at this time when I was watching it, I was kind of chuckling because um, Gelston is trying to pretend like he's the nice guy at this point like he's like oh I'm not really that mad about your petition like I understand um, I just love this college so much while he's saying this while he's like going on and on about Hawthorne and how great it is the camera um, is closing in on him but before it closes in on him you can see that the house is a fucking wreck from the night before there's like Beer bottles and trash all over the porch. It's just, it's just gross. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, um, juxtaposition, right? Like he's like, this is Hawthorne College and it's so great. And in the meantime, there's like just trash all over the front of this house.
2: I'm glad you pointed that out. It's such a good visual metaphor, you know, for exactly that where people, uh, social gatekeepers who want to keep things status quo that want to pretend like everything's already equal for example you know that's very the gelson way like oh it's already this is everything's fine you can do whatever you want look you're going to college like what do you what more do you want well meanwhile what they're defending is is actual garbage (laughs) yeah (laughs) totally
0: totally like it's just like it's just not taking responsibility for anything it's Mm -hmm. this idea that I mean, he even says it. He even, Gelston even says, like, boys will, he doesn't finish it. He doesn't finish boys will be boys, but he says, like, boys will be, well, you know. And I'm like, oh. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so, mm-hmm.
0: um, so, uh, yeah, so she, she runs back to the house and um, then there's this kind of, this really interesting scene where, so Marty has this boyfriend again. I don't remember his name. It's, something inconsequential apparently so um marty's boyfriend is there and they're trying to get dinner ready and marty is like a little exasperated that nobody's helping her in particular him you know and she's he's like drinking a beer and she says like can i get some help and he just kind of looks at her um and so you get this feeling of like oh like what's going on here um and so um, oh, that's right. So Galston had also revealed that the video of their performance the night before is online and has basically gone viral. Um, so Riley's mad about that. So she storms into the kitchen. She immediately calls out Chris for posting the video. Um, they have a little exchange. They kind of start fighting. Jesse uh, can't handle the fighting, so she goes to look for Christmas lights. And this scene this scene is so good i feel like the christmas light scene i mean despite the fact yeah. that i'm like is there not a light in that room because <laughs> it's very dark but let's just put that aside for a second this scene where jesse is getting christmas lights and plugging them in to see if they work is so mm-hmm. frightening and then you know and then of course when she plugs in the string that does work that's when we see the the hooded fig- figure emerge out of the darkness and it is so impactful i love that scene yeah it's a
2: gorgeous shot too i pulled one of that a still of that for my presentation at sif mm-hmm. i did a class earlier this month for uh City, seattle international film festival um and yeah it's gorgeous like if you clipped that and put it on the wall and hung it in a museum, you'd puzzle over it for hours. You'd be like, what's happening in this? It's painting? so
0: good. It's so yeah. good. Um so yeah, that that's happening at the same time that Marty's boyfriend is sort of getting more and more <laughs> aggro. Uh so like another thing that I found like so um realistic about it and and so telling is this, you know, Chris is like really upset that riley has spent these last three years since the assault happened just kind of slipping away and she's just really working hard to get her friend back like fully back and i really appreciated that but it's like one of the things that happens when they're fighting is chris says like i guess some of us are just happy to disappear you know and um it's true like when you do, when you are assaulted, like, that's what it feels like. That it feels like you're shrinking, you're shrinking yourself because you don't, you don't want to be noticed, you know? And so you're just trying to make yourself smaller and smaller and smaller. And as a result, that is like you disappearing. You're trying to bring yourself back in so that you don't get noticed again, so that it doesn't happen to you again, you know? Right. So I thought that, I felt like that was just like a very realistic moment between these two women friends. Where Chris yeah. was very matter-of-factly saying, "Like, look, like you're you're just disappearing, like where are you?" The first time
2: I watched this movie, I was like a little upset with Chris. I was like, "Hey, get, be gentle with her." Mm-hmm. But then, you know, the second time I I could vibe her more. It's like you you do need tough love when you're trying to rebuild yourself, you know? And that's mm-hmm. a line that Chris even says, you know, rebuild yourself, bitch. <laughs> like, yeah, you yeah. Know? So I, I saw her in a different light that second time. I was like, okay, I, I see where, what role she's taking in her friendship with Riley. Yeah,
0: you know? totally. Um, but so this scene is also, uh, bringing it back to Marty's boyfriend, um, it's also sort of where we're getting some hints dropped about how these hooded figures are maybe not just like regular uh killers moving around the the college so her boyfriend is suddenly like previously sort of like super nice guy is suddenly like very antagonistic um you know she's like when do you since when do you drink beer and he's like i love beer and then he tells them all to like calm down (laughs) And then, and then he basically not all mens them. I mean, he literally not all mens them. He says like, you know, I don't know what you women expect. Like you're constantly accusing, you know, falsely accusing us, and you called them out, and of course they're going to be mad. Um, you know, when they all reveal that they're getting these uh, terrible direct messages, and it's I what I do love about this moment is like. It's like, yeah, it sucks that her boyfriend is acting like this, but Marty is like, "Fuck off!" Like she tells him to get out. She she throws him out of the house. She's basically like, "No, no, no, you do not get to talk to us that way, and you need to go." Um, which I'm like, man, that's so great because I feel like there's, you know. There's many ways you could do that. And, like, the easiest way is to have the woman just be like, yeah, okay, it's fine, it's fine. And, like, trying to, like, soothe her boyfriend and calm it down. But, no, Marty's just like, you know what? Get the fuck out of here. Um, yeah. And he even says, like, you're being hysterical when he leaves. And she slams the door on him.
2: And that's probably another scene that people take issue with because they're all an undivided front, that, like, this is unacceptable behavior. And I can, I can entertain the idea that if you wanted to have an extended scene, having the women react to him differently to drive the tension would be one way to do it. But like, if you think about where they were headed with this film, where they're like where the final act is supposed to be, and the importance of solidarity between women and, and again, trying to make sure that younger audiences can get like really, you know, Uh, see themselves in these characters I think Mm -hmm. it was a really smart choice you know this is not a film meant for like deep puzzling criterion collection pipe smoking (laughs) philosophy this is you know this is trying to like bring a message and yeah so I think it was a really smart choice
0: right because like that message is you know no matter how nice you think your boyfriend is, like, that is not acceptable behavior. It is not acceptable to tell you to calm down. It is not acceptable to say, like, not all men are rapists. Why are you treating us like this? As if, you know, they're put upon in some way, which is the whole message of this movie. The, the whole motivation of the killers is basically, like, men are tired of being treated badly, um, <laughs> which is just, like, I don't even know how to address that. It's just so fucking ridiculous. And you know, and even Chris says like back to the boyfriend like the, the reason that we do this is because men have all the power. And it's crazy to me that like men don't recognize that. I don't, I don't know where this idea comes from that they don't have power over women, ultimately always all the time. They do, you know, they just do. That is a fact. There, ugh, it's such like a um, <laughs> yeah, the, just just the flames on the side of my face. <laughs> well, and I mean, we're gonna we're about
2: to talk about the finale, but that's exactly it, though, and why the supernatural twist is so great because I, exactly that. I know a lot of men who don't fully recognize that that power difference and placing it into a supernatural element, like literally for young men too, to go, hey, you might not even feel like this is real, but it is, and it's it's a force that's beyond any individual. You're part of this massive, nearly magical feeling um, concept that oppresses others. And so being aware of that can help liberate you from it. You know, I think it's great. Yeah,
0: yeah, totally. i i I, uh yeah i don't know it gets it gets me all Mm -hmm. gets me all feels feeling feeling ragey um so yeah so uh so the the boyfriend is kicked out and then um immediately after that we sort of like catapult ourselves into this insane third act which i feel like again this is um and this is part of it being rushed and part of it not feeling quite cohesive, because the pacing is a little off, right? I feel like, yeah, I agree. We, yeah we spent a while, like, it, it takes a while to sort of get where it's going, and then once it gets there, it's like non-stop action from this point to the finale. Mm-hmm. There's no break in that, right. so, um, so while they're kind of trying to soothe Marty, suddenly she gets shot with an arrow, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: which is like, wait, 100.
0: what? um you know initially i was like because i love the movie Year next i'm like oh did it come from outside but no the, this uh there's a hooded figure actually inside the house with a bow and arrow getting ready to shoot them again and so um chris and uh and riley pick up marty who's now limping because she's gotten shot through the leg with an arrow and they start running which is great except for they both drop their phones which is not great um and so they run away, and then they're, like, uh, in this, I think, in the pantry or something, trying to concoct a plan. Ooh, man. And so, the, you know, Chris says, like, Riley, we need a phone. We need to call the police. I realize their phones are downstairs, and so Riley has to go out and get the phone, um, which is very scary. <laughs> so, uh, Yeah. yeah. It's a very scary moment, her creeping down those stairs and trying to look for the the bow and arrow guy and figure out where the phone is and get it.
2: And I like that. I like the way they approach that, too. I mean, people have their phones on them all the time. But when you're home, it can just be in your house. And the dealing with cell phones is like the main issue in all modern horror. Like you have to figure out a clever way to weave it into the plot and just instead of like oh I forgot it or there's no service or I mm-hmm. dropped it out the window to it just be like I have to go get it being an obstacle is really it's a good it's a good scene
0: yeah I, I think like in this case they actually both dropped their phones when they were fleeing for their lives which absolutely makes sense as well you know like yeah. your friend shot with an arrow maybe you don't think about slipping your phone into your pocket before you run <laughs> out of the room you know right? so yeah. um but yeah, so Riley goes down to get her phone, and then she is attacked by this hooded figure who does this, like, and you know, like, this part didn't really work for me either, but I understand, like, they need to show Riley in peril in order to sort of, like, face what's coming. And so, you know, he grabs her by the throat, he's choking her, and then he looks up and sees, oh, and he cuts her face on each side and kind of rubs in the blood like rouge, which is kind of a weird thing to do, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. And then he looks at the mistletoe and like goes to kiss her, which I was like, Ooh, the <laughs> mask. Yeah. Like mock kisser. Yeah.
2: It, it, it's cool. Like, it, does, it doesn't quite work for me either, but I see what they were trying to do.
0: Yeah. Um, I, yeah. So I think it's, uh, She eventually – Chris goes to look for Jesse, who hasn't been seen in a while, and finds Jesse dead. Um, I did find this part interesting as well, because it is – Jesse's death is kind of echoing the death in the original.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And so she – sees her in a chair with christmas lights wrapped around her and spins her around and they cut just before you see her face now i feel like this is probably a pg-13 move there was there's probably something on the editing floor where you did see her dead face but i i bet the mpaa was like no you you got to cut it before you see her um yeah but yeah but jesse's clearly dead she's dead so chris has come back downstairs um with Marty and and saves Riley and then oh no wait sorry she doesn't save Riley Riley ends up stabbing this one in the neck mm-hmm. with, with the car keys for the boyfriend who has come back uh to apologize and then dies immediately <laughs> right after he apologizes but he's got his car keys he's got his car so she stabs him in the neck with these car keys um and then there's this kind of uh a little bit of an extended scene of them um, running around the house trying to escape these assailants. And unfortunately, Marty doesn't make it. Marty. Mm, Poor Marty. Yeah. um, So just Chris and Riley get out in the car. Um, And so now we're, this is the thing, is like now we're in this part where like they're getting away, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: but they don't quite make it out because (laughs) Riley basically tells her what she thinks, which is like there's this black goo coming out of these men that they've killed these men that were trying to kill them and she thinks there's like this something supernatural is happening something weird is happening because she saw the bust of calvin hawthorne leaking this black stuff out of its eyes and she thinks that somehow this black stuff is controlling these fraternity boys yeah it's a a stretch but it's a stretch and like (laughs) You can see it's a stretch on Chris's face, and you can see she doesn't believe Riley. Right. Um, And so, you know, Chris is like, no, we just need to get the fuck out of here. And Riley is like, no, no, we have to go back. Like, the police are not going to believe us, which is true. Like, I feel like she says, like, there are dead bodies all over our house. Uh, We killed them. Um, They're not going to believe us. You don't believe me. Just let me out of the car. I'm going to go back. So you know riley is this is also a moment i think where riley is like listen i've had enough and i am going to stop this once and for all yeah. um, and chris even though she's the fighter is like but we're in the car like we're getting away
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> we need to
0: just keep going yeah i mean i i
2: appreciate her self-preservation instinct you know it's it's you have to have that the the counter to it i you, if this is not a valid criticism but I feel like it would have been cooler a little I would have liked if they were a little less sure or Riley was a little less sure that the goo was controlling them because I think that could have really helped the the final reveal when it's like oh and we have all of your items and this you know instead of Riley coming into that final act being like I know it's I have an idea what's going on here for her to think that it's something else and then the horror to be revealed even more to be even more supernatural and strange, I think could have been really cool. Um, That's really my only kind of um, frustration with the third act. But it's still, I mean, it's still so satisfying
0: when we get where we're going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is like, um, you know, you've got... uh, So, uh, skipping ahead a little bit, um, Langston finds Riley walking in the middle of the street with a a snow shovel, which I'm like, I don't know what you're gonna do with that, but cool. Have that as your weapon. Um, And she asks, you know, he says, like, what can I do to help you? And so she asks him to create a diversion while she breaks into the fraternity house, um, presumably so she can smash the bust of Calvin Hawthorne. Um, And so he does. And then it turns out very badly for for him because, you know, all the robed bros show up when he's creating his diversion and they get him. Um, And then... They get Riley. Um, And this part, this part I did find really interesting. So Riley hears Elena, who's still alive, um, calling for help from one of the rooms. She goes in and finds her tied up. She undoes her bonds. You know, she's like, I'm so glad you're alive. And then you look behind her and there's a hooded figure who smashes smashes Riley in the head with a beer bottle while Elena smiles. So I did really think that this part with Elena was really interesting because agreed, I don't think we see this a lot where, and, and it's true, right? Where there are some women who drink the Kool-Aid. Like there are mm-hmm. some women who are like, no, these men are absolutely right. Like they're our saviors, they're our protectors and we need to respect them. And men okay. get falsely accused all the time and we need to help them by being good, obedient women. Yeah, there are um, a lot of them out there. Yes. <laughs> so to see that i was just like yeah no i mean that's true like that that's gonna happen you know um right and so you know when they when we do this big reveal scene in the i don't even know where they're in the basement of the fraternity (laughs) or something in the secret room that wasn't so secret because riley found it earlier um elena actually you know says uh aren't you tired of denying your true self just because we're standing behind them doesn't mean we're not needed i'm helping women everything is so out of whack you can join me and we can be good women uh. (laughs) i know it sucks but it's like that's you know some women believe that it's totally true Mm -hmm. um so, yeah, you know, and right before that sort of uh Carrie Elways is Carrie Elwaying doing his like <laughs> big speech, big evil speech about uh Calvin Hawthorne uh seeing the threat posed by women and taking precautions in case women strayed too far out of line, <laughs> and does so this boring. whole thing about like how we're tired of being falsely accused, uh, and women are an integral part of men, you know, mm-hmm. if you break us, you only break yourselves. Um, so it's, you know, it's ludicrous, but it's totally true. It's totally what some men think and totally what some women think. And so, I don't know. I appreciated that little detail with Elena, really.
2: Oh, totally. It's great. And it's a great reveal in the way that, um, everything else, it's not predictable at all, but everything else kind of follows with the same thrust. And if you're, you know, maybe our age as opposed to like a younger audience you you get it you already are aware of these issues in the world and you're just along for the ride but that one just kind of like you said it just gives you pause because you don't see it very often in film yeah i didn't expect it to be included here so i thought that was really great
0: yeah i thought it was great um and then of course uh in the meantime chris has Uh, is driving away and she sees she notices that the the campus policeman who finally like believes something was happening when he got a call from the 911 operator Mm -hmm. uh, has has gone to this the sorority we saw at the beginning and so she sees his abandoned uh, car in front of that sorority so she stops and the women from that sorority actually like bang on the window and like get into the car so now Uh, Bringing it back to that scene at the beginning, we've got a car full of women um, who are pissed off (laughs) and who have been fighting these robed figures uh, all night. And so we get this great, satisfying moment where Chris and the rest of these women burst into the fraternity. And they have all manner of weapons and they're basically like, we are going to fucking kill all these men. (laughs) Yeah, I love the lineup, you know, they're like in a V. Yeah, kind of. so it's, I I read somebody say something like it kind of felt like a Buffy episode, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm into it, I'm into that comparison. It does kind of feel like a Buffy episode. It totally does, that's great. Um. So yeah, I would love to know if, like, uh, Takala and Wolf were, like, big Buffy fans and if that played into their decision to do that or not, but I think that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, Um. so we get this struggle... Uh where you're not really sure who's gonna win. Um, You know, like for a while, the women appear to be losing uh, and then they get the upper hand again and then they lose the upper hand. Um, And it's, you know, you're like, oh, which way is it gonna go? Which way is it gonna (laughs) go? Um, But of course, you know, Riley uh, extricates herself from the hands of her abuser, who has at this point gotten her back on the ground again. And gets mad enough to throw him off of her. And then she breaks the bust of Calvin Hawthorne, which breaks the spell and stops the madness. Um, And then uh, there is this moment where, like, Langston actually um, does away with the guy – Brian I think his name is who assaulted Riley which I was like oh really couldn't we just have Riley take care of that did we right. need Langston to step in but I get it like they were trying to show that he had broken hit the his own spell and he was back to normal um, right. but then we get this even better moment with Chris and Professor Kelston. <laughs> where she says suck my and then she just throws this lantern at him and he catches on fire and dies so (laughs) i love you gotta love a fire death it's perfect it's the perfect end for him yeah so yeah um it's i don't know i feel like that last act is a lot of fun uh even though all the pieces don't come together smoothly i still think it works and i still really appreciate that this film is out there
2: Oh, same exactly. Yeah, it's not flawless, but it's fun. It delivers. It's different. I've never seen a slasher that's also supernatural that ends in a like a full on brawl. You know, it's great. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the lighting of that final fight scene, but other than that, it's perfect. (laughs) It's a Good update to the film. I'll always love the first one. It's such a perfectly done movie. It's so creepy. But it's not what, what audience needed in 2019. And the, to Colin, Wolf knew that. So they made a new thing. And it's great. And I, they, it's a great film. I don't understand why they were forced to make it in nine months. Mm-hmm. They, what, what movie would we have gotten if they were given two years? And so, I don't know. I really hope that to and Wolf get to work together again.
0: Yeah, yeah, I do too. Um, and um, I follow both of them on Twitter, although <laughs> Sophia's account is locked down, I'm no doubt, I'm sure, because of the many angry tweets that she got about this film. Yeah. Um, uh, so I have been trying to keep up on uh, what they're working on, which I don't know what they're working on. Um, but yeah, I just feel like, you know, don't. <laughs> If you're somebody that goes to Rotten Tomatoes and is like, ugh, uh, because the rating both, I really rarely see this. Usually either the critics rating is really low and the audience score is really high or vice versa. But in this case, uh, both of them are very low. Just ignore it, just like, just give it a try. Streaming on HBO Max right now, so you can watch it there, but you can also rent it pretty much anywhere else, um, any of the other streaming services. it's, it's good fun. Uh, I can see what they're going for. I liked a lot of it. Um, even though it won't ever be like my very favorite movie of all time, I still appreciate it for what it is. Yeah. Um, and I do know I was searching around on Twitter today, and I do see that, you know, there is there has been like a resurgence of it this year. And mm-hmm. uh, more and more women critics are watching it. More and more women horror fans are watching it and enjoying it. Um, I did love, uh, so Molly Henry, who is blogging Banshee, um, who Mm -hmm. writes for a lot of publications and she is great you know tweeted that she was she was watching it and she added like just to make it clear this is not an invitation for men to comment their unsolicited take on why they don't like this film and guess what happened Adrian? immediately yeah. <laughs> <I> saw that <laughs> yeah. she even like followed up with like god men can't even follow simple instructions how did you pass first grade <laughs> um and so like, just to illustrate the point, like this is typical of the kinds of comments that I saw so much in 2019, less so now, but still now. Uh, one of these men replied with like, it was radical, liberal, woke, feminist garbage, an insult to the original and sorry, you women can't tell men what to do.
2: It's uh, it's wild, that <laughs> response is like, wow, thanks for the thesis that is
0: exactly what the point of the movie is. Absolutely proving the point of the movie and why this movie is important
1: mm-hmm. and
0: fun and saying something about the patriarchy. Yep. Here we go one more time. Let's say it. One, two, three. Fuck, Fuck the, the patriarchy. patriarchy. Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> So, uh, Sophia and April, uh, if you ever listen to this, we adore you. We love you. We can't wait to see what you do next. We hope you do another horror film that is filled with social justice garbage. Because that's (laughs) what we want to hear. And that's (laughs) what we want to watch. And y'all crushed it. Um, So, yeah. I hope y'all enjoyed our holiday episode. Uh, We will be back next month with more women-directed horror. Uh, Send us your pics. Uh, you can hit us up at I Love Splatter on the socials or email ilovesplatterblog at gmail.com and let us know what you think. Uh, if you think anything about what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> and happy horror
2: days.